Miss Calicut described the parakeet's song, but what she heard now seemed a fitting match, pretty as the parakeets themselves. As Laurel rinsed the last soap from her wash, the song merged with the water's rhythms and the soothing smell of rose, pink, and bee balm. She lifted Hank's army shirt from the pool and went to where the granite outcrop leaned out like a huge anvil. Emerging from the mountain's vast shadows was, as always, like stepping from behind a curtain. She winced from the sunlight, and her bare feet felt the strangeness of treading a surface not aslant. The granite was warm and dry, except on the far side where the water flowed. But even there the creek slowed and thinned, as if it too savored the light and was reluctant to enter the cove's darkness. Laurel laid Hank's shirt near the ledge and stretched out the longer right sleeve first, then the other. She looked around the bedraped granite, her wash like leavings from the stream's recent flooding. Laurel raised her chin and closed her eyes, not to hear the bird, but to let the sun immerse her face in a warm, waterless bath. The only place in the cove she could do this, because the outcrop wasn't dimmed by ridges and trees. Instead, the granite caught and held the sunlight. Laurel could be warm here, even with her feet numbed by the creek water. Hank had built a clothesline in the side yard, but she didn't use it, even in winter. Clothes dried quicker in the sunlight, and they smelt and felt cleaner. Unlike the cove's depths, where clothes hung a whole day retained a mildewed dampness. They'll dry just as quick if I ain't watchin', Laurel told herself, and set down the wicker basket. She remembered how Becky Dobbins, a store owner's daughter, asked why the farmer killed such a pretty bird. Because they'll eat your apples and cherries, Riley Watkins had answered from the back row. Anyway, they're the stupidest things you ever seen, Riley added, and told how his daddy fired into a flock, and the unharmed parakeets didn't fly away, but kept circling until not one was left alive. Miss Calicut had shaken her head. It's not because they're stupid, Riley. Laurel followed the creek's ascent stepping around waterfalls and rocks and felled trees when she had to, otherwise keeping her feet in water and away from any prowling copperhead or satin back. The land steepened and the water blurred white. Oaks and tulip poplars dimmed the sun and rhododendrons squeezed the banks tighter. Laurel paused and listened, the birds call rising over the water's rush. They never desert the flock, Miss Calicut had told them, and Laurel had never known it to be otherwise. On the rare and rare occasions the parakeets passed over the cove, they always flew close together. Sometimes they called to one another, a sharp cry of wee, wee, wee. A cry, but not a song, because birds didn't sing while flying. The one time a flock lit in her family's orchard, the parakeets had no chance to sing. But this parakeet, if that's what it was, did sing and it sang alone. Laurel sidled around another waterfall. The song became louder, clearer, coming not from the creek, but near the ridge crest. As quietly as possible, Laurel left the water and made her way through trees twined with virgin's bower, then into a thicket of rhododendron. Close now, the song's source only a few yards away. On the thicket's other side, sunlight fell through a breach in the canopy. Laurel crouched and moved nearer, pulled aside a last, thick-leaved rhododendron branch. 
A flash of silvery flame caused her to scuttle back into the thicket, brightness pulsing on the back of her eyelids. The song did not pause. She blinked until the brightness went away and again moved closer, no longer crouching but on her knees. Through a gap in the leaves, she saw a haversack, then shoes and pants. Laurel lifted her gaze, her eyelids squinched to shudder the brightness. A man sat with his back against a tree, eyes closed as his fingers skipped across a silver flute. All the while his cheeks pursed and puffed, nostrils flaring for air. The man's blonde hair was a greasy tangle, his whiskers not yet a full beard but enough of one to, like his hair, snare dirt and twigs. Laurel let her gaze take in a blue chambray shirt, torn and frayed, and missing buttons. The corduroy pants ragged as the shirt, and shoes whose true color.